0: The football pod with Paddy and Andy. Sure enough, the ref was over.
1: What's your name? And him talking to me for all max, the ref. I was the captain for a tross of chatting I'm loving the Paddy set. Paddy Andrews, in the
0: red card. Download the OTB Sports app and subscribe to the GEA podcast feed now. Football on Off the Ball.
1: With Paddy Powers, save our game. England's goals totaled 110k for Irish football. Gamble responsibly. Gamblingcare.ie. Hi, right, Philippe O'Clair Claire coming up in a while But John Giles is with us on this Thursday evening Evening John
0: Evening Nathan Turns
1: out it wasn't coming home after all
0: No, no, very disappointing in the end For, 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 for English supporters anyway
1: mm. What went wrong then for England on Sunday night? Uh,
0: well, I think the team selection was a big mistake, Nathan
1: The switch to three at the back?
0: 3 at the back and and well actually he was playing with 5 at the back because if you take the three central backs and that so if you play 5 at the back it means there's a player there's a player out somewhere mm. and i think when he did that they were i think they were probably going to be outplayed in midfield anyway nathan over the 90 minutes i think they were but if Trippier hadn't been picked and they just played the ordinary back four then you could have put grealish uh, or henderson in yeah. the middle of the field. So he missed out on a player, in my opinion, in a very, very important position by picking Trippier and four other. I know they were wing backs, well, they're called wing backs now, uh, Trippier. Uh, but Trippier coming in, uh, Nathan, in my opinion, could have missed out. They missed out on a midfla- uh, midfield player. And I think that told on them in the, 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 after the first 15 minutes.
1: Because I'm sure what Southgate uh, would say and has said is that, well, it was those two wing-backs who linked up so brilliantly for their goal after three minutes.
0: Well, that's true. But there's, but there's another 87 minutes to play, Nathan. Yeah. You know, so, OK, that, that can happen, and it can work in that way. And it did, and it was a very, very good goal. But after 15 minutes, once uh, Italy got a grip of the game and the, uh, the, the, the midfield play with Verratti and... Uh, 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 Jorginho and to Lestics and Porella, uh, they dominated the, the, the rest of the game. It's not 75 minutes. Mm. So, I mean, okay, you can say, yeah, it was a good goal with what he did, but in the long run, they didn't win the match through, didn't I think they lost the match through uh, that situation.
1: Southgate had made a lot of changes during the tournament, so, you know, flipped full backs after the first match onto the Scotland game, went with three at the back against Germany because Germany, it felt, were going three at the back and he sort of matched up against them. There was a lot of surprise even before the game when it emerged that he was going to go with, as you said, a two wing backs and three centre backs because, as you said, they were giving up that midfield battle instantly. Was that Was that a... Negative approach, a conservative approach, or was it an acceptance that well, even with Saka in there, even with three in the middle, we don't have the technical talent in the players to dominate in an Italian midfield. so let's let them have the ball, but let's be rock solid at the back.
0: No, it was a stupid decision. It was just stupid. I mean, you can't let people have possession of the ball in the midfield and and say, well, okay, we we'll we get away with it. I mean, the ball's the most important thing in the pitch. Right? Mm. And and why give it to, why give that to the opposition anyway if you, if you can get the ball yourself you know once, once the, the the midfield players got it like Jorginho and these guys they're really really good on the ball and they dominated the, the, the game and you know the, the idea of the of the pitch or the when you're playing in a in a team is to dominate the ball Nathan I, I know what you're saying sometimes if people don't they sit back and then they hit people on the break and that. but but they usually do that. Uh, when they're regarded as the weaker team. Yeah. You know, well, England, like, would you look at the players that they have? And all, if you look at all around the team, uh, you know, apart from the two midfield players, I think uh, England had the stronger the stronger players. You know, they had a really, really strong panel. I mean, they suffered, they didn't have the really classy, creative midfield player, but then an awful lot of players around. Uh, uh, Phillips uh, and Rice it, and, right, and Rice in the middle of the field tonight, And that when when they were playing you know, they, they had J- uh, Jack Grealish and, and they had Zaka all, all they had to do was deliver the ball and they could get on with it from there but they had to get on the ball first and after the first 50 minutes I mean, Italy were really, really good and dominated the game after that in my opinion, especially from the middle of the field.
1: The performance was consistent with a lot of what we saw from England during the tournament, maybe with the exception of the match against Ukraine, who they put four goals past. They were very conservative He did seem to put a huge emphasis more on the defensive side than actually on trying to create something Does a Do you think a different manager, and God knows who that is because it doesn't seem to be the top managers crying out for an international job, but is there a lot more a different manager with a different, more positive style can get from that England group?
0: Well, I think I think they had enough in the in the in the what he had, uh, Nathan, to 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 get to the final, which he did quite quite comfortably. Yeah, I mean, if you go back, I mean, the final, I mean, he just made outrageous decisions uh, in the final. There's no doubt about that, and uh, you know, bringing the. <laughs> I say with trip Yard and he missed in place in midfield, and then we got to the penalty situation where, which was was a disaster for them. You know, I think that's that, that is poor management. There's no doubt about that. Because if you look at uh, Roberto Mancini, I mean, he's he he. I don't think he had as good a players. Only in the middle of the field did he yeah. have as good a players as England had. But this fella's been he's been unbeaten for 33 games. So this this fella's a real a real pro and doing what he did. Uh, in this particular competition, I, I don't think he made the, the, the silly changes for the in in the final in selecting the team that he did. It was a pretty uh, a, a team that he's pretty hard for 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 most of the other matches. Yeah. Anyway, so there was no change in the way he was turning his team out. If anybody was making changes for the opposition, it was Southgate.
1: And do you think playing Grealish? Uh, and is it just Grealish or does Saka or Henderson do the same? Do you think playing one of them and playing with four at the back and three midfield and three attacking players gives England a bit more dominance of the ball?
0: Definitely, definitely, Nathan. First of all, it would have stopped the, the, the their midfield players from playing as well as they did. You know they were outnumbered in the middle of the field. I mean, mm. you had Rice and Phillips there, but but the, the, they're they're very good at what they do, Nathan. Right? They're not as good as the midfield players, Ferranti and Jorginho, especially about Jorginho. Now is playing better than he did for Chelsea, but that's by the way. But they, they were the type of players who were clever on the ball, short pass here, short pass there, getting it through. You know, very, very clever in dominating the game and being effective in what they were doing with the passing. Now, if England had Grealish in there or Henderson in there, they might have been able to put a stop to that. But Phillips and, and, and Rice uh, were left on their own in, in the middle of the field. And they couldn't compete in in the creativity that uh, the Italians had with the players that I just mentioned. Uh, they were one short, Nathan, definitely one short in the middle of the field.
1: Right. Uh, they did get all the way to penalties and uh, you were a man who rarely, if ever, missed a penalty. What did you make of the players that he put forward for the shootout?
0: I couldn't believe it, uh, Nathan, to be honest. I just could not believe that he could put lads in, young players like that, bring them on at just before the end of the uh, extra time and to take penalties in, in, a, in a major, major competition. I couldn't believe it.
1: Because there's two things there that you touched on. Uh, One is obviously Bukaya Saka at 19 with the fifth penalty his first ever in senior football. The other, as you say, is actually bringing the players on just before the shootout. And I remember watching the game and there was two minutes left. There was a throw in, and Italy took it quickly and England couldn't make the substitutions. And there was a chance Italy might have just kept possession. The ball might not have gone out of play again. And England don't even get those players on the pitch, Rashford and Sancho. So you'd have to wonder how well thought out a plan it was that there was such risk that they mightn't even be on the pitch if they were of that importance in the first place.
0: Well, I, 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 I can't make out what, was, what, what happened, was happening. You know, Normally before, with, with a manager, when, you, when there's always a possibility that there's going to be a shootout. Mm. There's always that possibility. So that should be organised from last week. Right, who was going to take maybe it was and maybe he decided last week this is what he was going to do Uh, I wouldn't say it was a last minute thing but but, uh, it it, it, it was just odd that um, the players that he picked for such a vital situation were young lads and inexperienced lads and and again just bringing them on I mean you have to warm up in a game
1: Would you have felt comfortable coming on in a situation like that and your first touch of the ball being a penalty kick and a shoot out of that importance?
0: Definitely not. Definitely not. I, I, I read in the paper afterwards, Nathan, that they have a coach there called Steve, Steve Holland.
1: Yeah, his assistant, right? yeah.
0: Right, his assistant. And he came, kept a, in training, he kept a record of all the players' record in penalties, in training. Mm. right? And then made a league table of the penalty takers. And the young players, apparently, were consistently better than the senior players and therefore we're, we're, we're above the senior players in the table now obviously that was Southgate must have known about that and was influenced by it in my opinion well, now I can't, I can't think of any other reason Nathan that he would do what he did for the penalty shootout if it wasn't influenced by uh, Steve Holland now I, I don't know this but I think it. Look, well, like, these are the lads who've been consistently on in, on top of the table for the penalties, uh penalties in training. Uh, now, that's I, I, the case.
1: It, it does seem to, to have been the sorry. case. It does seem that that is what it was based on. Because as an England have such a horrible history with penalty shootouts down through the years, the question is always asked: Have you practiced? And it seems that this was a response that actually they do. Uh, at the end of every session have a penalty shootout, they try and apply some pressure on that and then they look at that and I guess where players are shooting, have a bit of a table and make their decision based on what they have seen. Do you, can you not practice your technique in pr- training that you can stick with that technique when it comes to the actual shootout?
0: Well, well, first of all, Nathan, I, I think you believe that, that, that they, 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 that's what happened. Mm. I believe that's what happened. Yeah. Now, that is total total rubbish, Nathan. Not you, I'm not talking about you, but the actual uh, importance of uh, training and penalties shoots, shots in training is relevant to the situation that these young players found them in at the weekend. When you're taking penalties in training, Nathan, first of all, you don't have the pressure of a big competition that we had, or even a senior match, where that's, that's the thing that makes the difference to penalty takers, is, is the, keeping the confidence and their ability under pressure to do what's needed to be done. You don't take it from training, Nathan. I was in many, many training sessions and penalty sh- uh, 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 practice when, when I played, and I've seen players that wouldn't score a penalty in a match in all their lives, whacking them home, Clipping them with left foot, right foot, anywhere. This is a training session, Nathan. You can't practice what's needed to be done in the heat of the moment when you're playing in an important match or even a first-team match. It's a different game altogether. This is where the character comes into it. This is where you have to experience, mostly mostly experienced players who've done it before. This is not easy like in a training session where it doesn't matter whether you score or you don't score where they made a big mistake with, with, with this lad, Holland, is taking any notice, real notice, of the league and the young players doing better than the experienced players do. Of course you have to practice. I practice a lot taking penalties. But it, it, that, that's when I get on my own with a goalkeeper. I yeah. do it on my own. But this wasn't a part of a training session, Nathan, where uh, Paul Reeney, for example, wouldn't take a penalty in a million years. I've seen him whacking penalties home, but he wouldn't want to take a penalty on the big day. Yeah. And I think it was a huge mistake to do what they did, like, Sterling didn't take a penalty, right? Apparently, the goalkeeper...
1: Was sixth on the list, yeah.
0: Was sixth on the list, Nathan. Like, this is madness. Absolute madness. And, 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 and that's, what, that's what, I mean, having a young player take the, taking the last penalty... In, 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 in a cup final a European cup final and I think one or two of them had never taken a penalty before in a big match anyway I, I, it's, it's just I, I just couldn't believe it to be honest I still can't believe that, that this happened
1: so, you don't think then, from when you think back to your own penalty practice, so you wouldn't go in on a Thursday, Friday and say, I'm going to put this bottom right hand corner, every penalty I take in practice, because I know if I get one on Saturday, that's what I'm going to do. You don't think that would be beneficial?
0: Uh, of course it would, Nathan. Yeah, because I was the penalty taker. Yeah. Right? And I was an, experience, an experienced player. Of course it would actually i didn't i didn't do it so much uh practice that much during the week but when we were playing at home i used to ask dave dave uh the goal david harvey to come in on the on the day right uh and i I'd, I'd practice practice what I was going to do that day particularly right which is the best time because it's 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 in your mind and it's 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 fresh in your mind of what you're going to do and i what done the big thing about that you what in my opinion taking penalties I used to say today Dave Harvey, I'm going to put it to your left, right? Because when you're taking a penalty, there's a lot of psychological stuff in it, Nathan. And what I used to try and do for a penalty was that I'm going to put it to the left. If the goalkeeper goes to the left, right, I'm going to hit it hard enough to beat him. Because when you're taking a penalty, first of all, if you put it in one corner or the other, you've got a 50-50 chance that the goalkeeper will go the other way. Mm. So you've got a 50-50 chance. So when you're taking a penalty, you make sure you keep it also inside the goalpost, but hard enough if the goalkeeper goes that way. So you've made up your mind. Now you make up your mind either way. On, the, on, on I would probably on the Friday would know what side I was going to put it on. On Saturday, on Saturday particularly, we're playing at home. I'd go in and practice it at around, what, half 10 o'clock, half 10 that morning. When you're playing away from home, you can't do it. Yeah. But I would, I would certainly do a bit of practicing on the Friday. I wouldn't overdo it either, Nathan, to be quite honest. I wouldn't be taking like 15, 20 penalties. I'd be doing enough to know this is what I'm going to do, and I'm confident in doing it that way. But you have to be in the right frame of mind on the day to do it. That's the big thing. You know, you can practice it. There's nobody there. There's nobody in the crowd. It might be a big match. You are no score with a minute to go, and the pressure's really on. That's that's what you've got to take, and then 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 you get you get experience from all of that. But these kids coming on in in, in a European final, mm. and they were taking the penalty at senior level before. At least one of them did that. It's yeah, just, it's just I just well, as I said before, it's just, I just don't believe it.
1: Well, I think you just have to see the stories that have come out since that a lot of the senior players were a bit bemused that Saka was given the fifth one on even Marcus Rashford's statement where his prolonged run-up he put down to the fact that he just wasn't maybe feeling 100% and you're wondering, well, how did the management not see that he yes. wasn't 100% if they're putting him on for that penalty kick? Yeah,
0: as you say, Nathan, like you, like you, there's always a possibility uh, of, of, of a shootout. Mm. There's always a possibility. So that should be organised it, it, you're okay. They got there, but you, it, that could be organised a week, two weeks beforehand, in case you get there. Of course, then you've got, you got. You, you, but you, you, you pick at that stage. You pick your penalty takers and let them practice as much as they can. Now I know they won't all play in the final, but if you got if you got seven of them, right, practicing mm. every day. But you wouldn't have a league table, though, Nathan. You'd pick up the players, especially experienced players, right? And, and no, this is, look, like, you're going to be taking the penalties. This is it. This is what you practice. And, the, and they should be mostly experienced players, Nathan. You know? Yeah. Like you'd Sterling and Kane and McGuire played and then Stones played. You know, Sterling played. I mean, quite honestly, you might, you might let Rashford take one, but you'd, you'd keep these other kids a million miles away from it.
1: Yeah. Well, it certainly cost them in the end. Uh, looking back at the tournament as a whole, John, it like, was really entertaining. A uh, lot of goals, a lot of great goals, a lot of uh, close matches, extra time, plenty of drama. Did you enjoy it all?
0: I did. I did, mate. I think once it got past the early, uh, the early uh, games in the, in the, the prelims, and then, and then later on, there were some good games in that. I mean, Switzerland, France mm. was brilliant. You know, Croatia, Spain... Uh, th- th- there were quite a few, actually, were very, very, very good. I thought, it, it, overall, the tournament was, was, was excellent. Yeah. Uh, and Italy, were they champions? I think so. I think so. I think they went through unbeaten. Was... Don't yeah. think anybody beat them in the... In no, they were, they were the very impressive in the group stage, it. yeah. I think there was really, really good management, really good management from Mancini, because he didn't really have a an out-and-out goalscorer. Ch- Chiesi, I think, came into the team. He wasn't in there originally. I think scored more goals than anybody else. Yeah, But they didn't have a Sterling or a, or a, or a Harry Kane uh, in, in the line-ups at all. Uh, and, I mean, what they did. I mean, midfield, they were very, very good. I mean, Jorginho playing, I think he played a lot better for, for, for Italy than I've seen him play for Chelsea. And also, from the manager's point of view, like, going back on the tradition of Italian uh, football, and, and international teams or football generally in Italy in my time in that like if, if the Italian team scored after a minute they'd be defending for 89 minutes this didn't happen with Mancini you know they were pressing up up the pitch they were, if they scored a goal they were going, going again and they had great defenders as well Nathan but there was a change definitely in the way that they, they played from the tradition as, we, as we've known it
1: yeah Um John you're going to stick with us For the summer I think uh, We'll chat again next Thursday We might uh, do a little bit Of nostalgia as well Over
0: the next few weeks I know people loved it last year Yeah we'll do that Nathan You, oh. te- you tell me what you want You're the boss
1: We'll put it out We'll put it out yeah. to the listeners What do you want John Giles, To talk about over the next few weeks It won't be long till the new season starts again But uh, great stuff as always John
0: Thanks Nathan Speak to you then
1: John Giles there and if you want to get John Giles every week just download the OTB Sports app and subscribe to our football podcast and you'll get everything that we do including Philippe Eau he's coming up next Football on Off The Ball with Paddy Power's Save Our Game is your bookie giving you jack then you haven't tried Paddy Power gamble responsibly gamblingcare.ie Delighted to be joined on the line by French football writer Philippe Eau good evening Philippe good evening to you So the uh, world of football never stops no sooner has Euro 2020 (laughs) come to a close and we're involved in transfer negotiations and that is going to dominate the next month. All that nonsense. And, well, French players are going to be very involved and French clubs are going to be very involved with the financial crisis that is engulfing the French game. We might get onto that in a moment, but just to put a wrap on Euro 2020 because a lot has happened since we last spoke. Uh, We have covered in depth the scenes, the horrific and shocking scenes at Wembley from Mm -hmm. Sunday night and the more you read the more you realise it could have been a hell of a lot worse and that they were incredibly fortunate that there weren't serious injuries that far worse didn't happen what has been the view in France of what happened at Wembley because listen we were there five years ago at the Stade de France and I was trying to think back to that evening and was there crowds gathering around the Stade de France and all I could remember was a wall of security getting through around three different walls of security to get in and around the stadium complex
2: I can also remember um, people at the final in the Stade of France, the, the French supporters staying uh, for the distribution of medals and clapping off the uh, Portuguese players, which certainly didn't happen this time in terms of uh, the English England fans and uh, and the Italian players. It was very, very different. Yes, to say the least. Mm. <laughs> yes.
1: The (laughs) fact that Italy have gone and won this and the uh, team ethic maybe that brought Italy through rather than the star power in that group compared to the star power that was in the French group, is there a lot of regret even more so when you look at the fact that it was Italy and England in the final with the talent that was at the French disposal for this tournament?
2: I, up to a point I think in the way this discussion started immediately after the elimination by the Swiss team and uh, people asked the, the right questions almost immediately and I think everybody is aware of the fact that the teams that did best in this tournament were teams were which put the collective valour. Of, uh, of the squad beyond the qualities of individuals uh, and and th- this doesn't just go for the the uh, Italian team and I said nearly said the England team because it's equally valid for the England team but you could also t- say the same uh, for the Spain for Spain and and for Switzerland and for Denmark the teams that came out of these tournaments with uh, the heads you know the up the highest were all teams which in a way, put the team effort or the collective effort above the individual prowess or talent of of the players, and which is one thing that many people have commented upon in France. Obviously, the um, autopsy, if that's the word, is going to carry on for a while, and wondering why is it that France failed? You know, the world champions were unable to keep a, a two-goal advantage with nine minutes to go on the clock, and so on and so forth. Uh, but by and large, I think the uh, the The fact that this this Italian team succeeded because of again, I use this word a lot I know because of a collective project is not something which has got unnoticed and the fact that other teams which succeeded and again I I put England in that, uh, follow the same principle is something which has been at the forefront of comment uh, since the Euros uh, ended and um, I think rightly so Um, it it probably is one of the uh, one of the interesting and probably a quite uh, one of the things that make me optimistic about the future of international football when you see that happen. Hmm.
1: The Covid delay to the tournament means that the international calendar is a little bit out of sync. So yep. we're only 18 months away from the World Cup and the World Cup qualifiers have already started and will be back on the way in six weeks time. Didier Deschamps' future as coach, does that influence it, that actually now isn't the time for radical change, that actually a bit of consistency, a bit of continuation is what the best international sides need over the next 18 months? Was there any risk to his position at all after the defeat?
2: Um, there, there, there is risk, and there was, or rather there was risk. I don't think there is any left. I mean, before the tournament started, it had been agreed that Didier Deschamps would carry The French team onto uh, the 2022 World Cup and perhaps beyond that uh, it's something which had been agreed by the French Federation and Didier Deschamps himself Uh, he's still a world champion Uh, he still brought the team to a um, final of Euro 2016 so you know his honestly when you look at what he's done with the French national team apart from this particular instance Mm. uh, it's been a great success so there I don't think there's much of a problem uh for him as far as his position is concerned uh on the other hand it's true that there's been a lot of talk about should we move to somebody else and of course a lot of talk has been about the fact that uh, the coaches who have inverted commas failed because failure is always relative in in a cup competition uh of, of the big countries that is are coaches who have been in place for quite a long time that's him that's joachim Löw, that's santos and obviously people will look at you know they look at southgate uh, they look at mancini and and they see you know m- managers who have been in in charge of the national team for far shorter a time than he himself has been i mean it's 2012 <laughs> That's a long time ago and and you you could think well maybe you know so just as we say that uh, a club manager shouldn't outstay is welcome and unless he wins all the time 3 years is a maximum well, in terms of national teams, we're looking far, far beyond this three-year term. And the question has been asked, but honestly, I do not expect anybody, Zinedine Zidane or anybody else, taking over from Dijon for the 2022 World Cup. Mm. As well as the scenes outside of Wembley,
1: what's dominated the last week has been the abuse that Marcus Rashford and Jaden Sancho and Bukaya Saka mm. have taken online. And Bukaya Saka released a statement earlier today in, like the yes. most powerful line was saying I knew instantly the kind of hate that I was about to receive and it's a sad reality that your powerful platforms are not doing enough to stop these messages talking to the social media networks I I assume it's not a uniquely English problem. Kylian Mbappé what was the reaction within France was there a similar fallout to him missing the penalty?
2: Uh, There there, there were some absolutely appalling uh, comments put on uh, social uh, platforms um, about Kylian Mbappé Not necessarily about other players, but particularly about him. Uh, One of the reasons why that was the case is also the fact that he's a PSG player and PSG is both the most liked and most despised team in France. So you've got to be aware of that. So there is an element of club loyalty, so to speak, about that. But I would say that perhaps um, the, the French public opinion and the French media are far less aware and need a little bit of education when it comes to that. Uh, whereas in in England it became immediately uh, a cause célèbre, I believe is the the word or the expression to use, and people were aware of it immediately and people are very sensitive to that. This sensitivity is not necessarily very well developed everywhere else and certainly is not the case in France. Um, If I can speak about my my own uh, reaction when Bukei Osaka uh, missed his penalty, or rather, Donnarumma saved it. Mm. Uh, I was with watching it with English friends, and I said, "I can bet you one thing: is that uh, there were there will be an awful lot of people who notice again inverted commas that it was Marcus Rashford, Jadon Sancho, and Bukayo Saka who missed their penalties, and you can guess what's going to come from that." I, I think that in in england or in the uk there is a greater awareness of this hatred uh in france it it does exist it can be just as nasty but perhaps it's not given the same oxygen and for that reason you know the the situations are quite difficult to compare but yes mbappé got an awful lot of absolutely disgraceful uh, heinous and um, comments uh after after his penalty miss and um Again, it's it depends which way you want to look at the, at the mirror. If you want to look through it or you want to look at it. And uh, at least in England I believe people are confronting it and I think in France in some ways people are forgetting it and not really don't really want to 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 look at it at all. So it might be a good thing in some ways because you don't want don't want to give oxygen to the haters. Mm. Uh, which is one thing you do when you suddenly, you know, home in Onto these racists who suddenly um, crowd their timelines with appalling insults. Um, so it has been the case too in France, but not quite in the same context and to the same extent.
1: Yeah. Uh, one of the most interesting things I found uh, ahead of the tournament, listening to you talk in the show, was when Karim Benzema would come up mm. and. I never realised the reverence that Karim Benzema was held in within French football and also among the French players like the way you were talking about the buzz that they were getting of Karim Benzema the great Karim Benzema returning from Real Madrid I I just assumed he was another player in a squad full of superstars he had a really good tournament he obviously had some moments of absolute magic Uh, he's 33 at this stage Is, is this the end was it a quick return or do you expect that actually Benzema will still be there for
2: Qatar I, he will be there I, i've got absolutely no doubt about that um i mean he he's wanted to go back into the french national team for a very long time uh his performance and not just on the field i mean he was at times absolutely magical and he was as good for france as he had been for real madrid for a number of years um it, it's not just that it's the way he uh, integrated himself in, into the group which was not an obvious thing to do because there are tensions within this group there's we shouldn't deny that some, not every single one of uh, uh, Benzema's teammates and member of the additional staff was particularly happy at seeing him coming back because we have to remember why he, he actually left the team or he was taken out of the team uh, some five years ago. Um, but he behaved absolutely impeccably. Uh, he made all the right efforts. I was going to say all the right notes, but that wouldn't be fair to him. He did much more than doing the right notes. He did the right thing, and on the, uh, on the field of play, he was, I would say, probably the best French player in this Euro. Uh, the most consistent. He had some problems to start with, but he grew into the tournament. And he, you know, honestly, against what he did against Switzerland, you know, we don't even talk to about him as a player of the tournament. But believe me, I mean uh, that. The first goal is called against Switzerland I mean as an individual goal uh, is one of the I mean the greatest moments certainly footballing moments of, of the tournament so yes I fully expect Karim Benzema to to stay in the team and to be actually one of the leaders of uh, that team the French team if they qualify for uh, 2022.
1: Yeah, it is one of the weird quirks of tournament football that once a team is knocked out and you move on to the next stage, almost all the greatness of what they have achieved is forgotten yeah. about. And you say you think back to just how brilliant Pogba and Benzema were at times in that match. And then when it comes to those team of the tournaments, neither of them are uh, are found near it uh, all our football and off the ball is with thanks to Paddy Powers save our game England racked up 11 goals at the Euro so that means Paddy Powers donating 110,000 to Irish football for information on responsible gambling visit gamblingcare.ie so for the next four weeks or so it's going to be transfer gossip dominating the headlines and French players Kylian Mbappe Raphael Varane will be dominating but also French clubs because there's been a collapse of one of the television deals in France which means that with the exception of Paris Saint-Germain almost all the French clubs including the new champions and what brilliant champions they were Lille almost all of those clubs are in pretty severe financial difficulty
2: Um, more than severe uh, it's it's I don't know where to start really, I mean it's a complete collapse because we still don't know exactly what the situation is going to be for the new season. We know Amazon has moved in as we were expecting them to do so. Uh, There are question marks about the other uh, broadcasters. The amount of money which they're going to plow into the game in France, into the professional game in France, is is going to be nowhere near what Mediapro was supposed to put in, uh, which was about a billion you know, euros a year. So for a club like
1: Lille, what does that mean per season?
2: Jesus. I mean, (laughs) Lille is a basket case, (laughs) (laughs) Um, as are many other clubs in France. Um, Their finances, I mean, you could you talk about Lille, you could talk about Marseille, uh, which is, you know, really well supported, a huge fan base. Uh, massive potential and the rest of it, you look at it, it everywhere, it's, everybody's losing money. And I know it's not uh, exclusive to, to, to Ligue 1. It's the same in most you know, national championships and leagues across Europe. But in terms of France, the, the peculiar problem is that they thought that they had found, in a way, a solution to that by getting this massive TV deal that was two years ago. And then the deal completely crashed, and then suddenly, I mean, and and the clubs, being football clubs, had been speculating in a way, investing uh, money, or rather spending money, investing is a polite term, uh, which they didn't have, in the hope, or in some cases, the conviction that they would get this share, this big share of the big cake, but what they're getting is a very small cake, you know, it's like a souffle, which you've taken out of the oven a little bit too early, and it's gone down, it doesn't taste very nice, and there's far less of it to share around. So everybody's financial progression, uh, projections ha- are being revised. So it's okay for PSG because UEFA has put financial fair play aside because of the pandemic. So it's okay because they can put in the, whatever money they want, which is why you see them actually being very active on the transfer market. For the others, it's more of a question like how can we get any money? Because what we're going to get from the broadcasters is far less than what we were expecting only 18 months ago. So therefore, no, it's, it's, more, it's, it's an existential crisis. And, and I'm not exaggerating that when I use these words, those clubs perhaps in other financial contexts wouldn't be able to operate honestly right there is no money and i mean there is no money uh, there is not enough money coming from sponsors there is not enough money coming from people going to through turnstiles for obvious reasons the money coming from broadcasting is nowhere near what people were hoping it would be and because of that we are i mean we still have uh, players under contract and uh, you know, there's still a few clubs trying to do this and that and the other. And Marseille is investing some money. Uh, the case of Bordeaux is, is a crazy one who have been taken over by Gérard Lopez. I will not say anything about it, but it is insane, really insane. And the, the whole economy of French football is wrong. And at some point, you know, when you're heading towards the wall, at 300 miles an hour, there's one point you're going to hit it and it's not going to feel particularly nice. And I'm afraid that I can't see how you can, I don't see where the brakes are. And um, people keep spending and, you know, live from one second hand to mouth, basically one minute to the next. But there is no genuine solution, uh, which, which is, you know, available to, to these clubs, which are in peril for their own lives. The Premier League clubs will
1: be the vultures circling around the carcass here. But will the Premier League mm. clubs, with the likes of Camavinga, who's been linked with Manchester United, uh, Renato I mean, Sanchez, been linked with Liverpool, Hussain yes. Morar, has been constantly like every good player outside of Paris Saint Germain. It seems is in the papers. Is yeah. there enough Sharon money? And as
2: well, the Belgian, mm. but Wenger, obviously from
1: Rennes. Is, uh, is there enough be- money in the sale of those players to keep those clubs alive for the coming season?
2: Uh, I'm not too sure about that because we're talking, I mean, even if you, we're, we're talking about a small group of players here, I mean, and I know there are plenty of very, very fine players uh, in, in French clubs. And French clubs might be uh, an economic basket case, but there are many things about French clubs which, which which is good. I mean, in terms of the training, the scouting and so forth, they're still very good at what they do. And uh, and, and they give a chance to those young players. So there is this advantage that Liga has got is that uh, their clubs do trust young players more than other leagues, so because of that, it is attractive as well. And but you know the players we're talking about, the Doku's and and the Camavingas and so forth, there there aren't that many of them, and and also there aren't that many of them which will who will command the kind of price which can make a real genuine difference. Uh, the case of Lille, for example, if you're talking about Renato Sanchez, but you could talk about other players from Lille as well. Um, this club has been surviving basically through selling its best assets for the last I mean at least since 2017 before that as well still despite all of that it's a club that has been hemorrhaging money because of its very peculiar economic arrangements uh, and it hasn't been able to to be to find an even keel uh, even though it sold an awful lot of players, you know, Nicola Pepe, for example, you know, I mean, amongst many others, for a lot of money, but even with that, they haven't been able to balance the books. And and Lille was in the Champions League, and Lille was in European competitions. So imagine what it's like for clubs, which are not. It's almost, uh, it, it, there is only, you know, you, the, the family is silver it's, it, it's fine, uh, you can sell it but there's one moment when suddenly there is not much left on the shelf and there is not much to extract from the the mines that you've been digging in for a long time and which everybody's aware of so um no i mean a, a few players will sell for a lot of money it might ease the situation of a few clubs here and there for a while but it is not a solution
1: uh, it's interesting you mentioned financial fair play and paris saint-germain when you look at the wages that they must be paying around oh, Gili Vijnaldum, Sergio Ramos, Gianluigi Donnarumma and the signings of Hakimi and Danil Pereira as well. The if, if Mbappe, I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about over the course of the summer. Rafael Varane, it looks almost certain he's going to leave uh, Real Madrid and maybe because he's not an attacking player, it doesn't gain as much headlines and Manchester United supporters have got mm. Jadon Sancho. Like, Rafael Varane does feel as though he could be a transformational signing. Or am I thinking of a Rafael Varane of three, four years ago who was in the running to be the best centre-half in the world. Is he not still, at 28, one of those players with that sort of potential?
2: Yeah, completely. And, uh, you know, he's, I think, the kind of central defender that um, Manchester United have been waiting for. And perhaps, I mean, since when? Uh, I'm trying to think back, but I, I, I think that they're hoping to, to find, if they can get Varane, thinking of the Maguire, Varane, Partnership as being the equivalent of the um, village Ferdinand, for example, uh, partnership. Uh, he has got um, everything that a centre back, uh, top centre back needs in terms of technique. His passing is superb. He's good in the air. Physically strong. He's very calm, which is, you know, his greatest quality. Was his uh, the first quality that every scout noticed in him? Even you know when he was at Lens uh, and, and a very young man, he always had that about him. This kind of Rio Ferdinand you know, uh, yes, calm. And and, and, uh, and when everybody's going crazy around him, he still had the head on his shoulders. He can make the right choice. Uh, he's, he's a good tackler, but he doesn't need to tackle, tackle much, which is what you like in a central defender. And also, obviously, he's right-footed. So you've got Maguire on the left and Rafael Varane on the right. And that makes complete sense. And you've got Luke Show on the left as well. I mean, you know, this is starting to look like a mm. <laughs> proper defense to me. And, and obviously, I'm not, it, it is not saying, you know, that Lindelof or Eric Bailly are, are bad defenders. It's that Varane is, is something else. And as well, it's the experience. Um, when you think about Varane, you, you have to think about, he's only 28 years old, I believe. Um, and when you look at what he's already won, he's been uh, champion of Spain three times. He's won the Copa del Rey, of course. He's won four Champions League. Uh, he's won the... Club World Cup, he's won the World Cup with the French national team, he's somebody who has experienced football at the highest level, and as a member of a starting eleven an absolutely crucial part uh, of uh, the teams that, which won those titles. So you're also buying this experience, this calm, and and this reputation. And also, um, somebody who in the dressing room is uh, very much appreciated, Uh, maybe not by Florentino Perez, because I don't know if there are any <laughs> any leaks about Florentino Perez talking about Rafael Varane yet, because he's talked about everybody else. You know, Ronaldo, Del Bosque, you know, he hasn't. I, I haven't heard anything about him and Rafael Varane, but he can really bring something, something more. I mean, he's one of the top defenders. He doesn't. He, he might not have exactly the best of tournaments with France. Mm. I mean, he was. He looked fantastic at times, and there were games where he was put in more difficulty but that was more of a collective thing than a personal thing individual thing but he could bring a, a, a huge amount um, to 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 the club and uh i think they're absolutely right to move in i mean uh it's it's the best time he's only 28 he's only got one year on his contract which means he's not going to be that crazily expensive um and if they can get him well they're starting to become a very very serious proposition i must say in the premier league
1: Philippe, great to talk to you as always.
2: My pleasure. Philippe O'Claire there.
0: Football
1: on Off The Ball. With Paddy Powers, save our game. England's goals totaled 110k for Irish football. Gamble responsibly, gamblingcare.ie.
0: The football pod with Paddy and Andy. Sure enough, the ref was over.
1: What's your name? Him talking to me for all match, the ref, Captive please chat me. I'm loving the
0: party set. Paddy Andrews, red card. Download the OTB Sports app and subscribe to the GAA
2: podcast feed now.